This morning's scripture comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to, their, to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and lied him in a manger, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by the night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I'm Charles McKnight, one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central Church. And this morning, we continue in our Christmas season sermon series, a series which we've titled Words of the Season. In this series, we're taking a closer look at a few popular holiday-themed words to explore how they connect to biblical realities. Last week, we explored the word joy, and today we'll be taking a closer look at another holiday-themed word. Peace. Peace is probably one of the top five words that show up on Christmas cards this time of year, right? Wishing you Christmas peace, some cards say. Love and peace, peace and joy, peace on earth. I even got a card one time that said peace and aloha. And it's not just Christmas cards where we find this word peace. It even pops up in advertisements this time of year. As a matter of fact, Pastor Howard forwarded me an email advertisement he got this week from GameStop that read, and I kid you not, celebrate peace, joy, and video games. <laughs> Christmas cards, ads, slogans, and of course the Christmas songs come decked with the word peace during this season. But the word peace doesn't only show up this time of year. You know, the word peace lingers around even after the eggnog runs dry and the Christmas tree comes down. In our society, the word peace, the concept of peace, the desire for peace 
is evident year round. War and peace, world peace, peace in the Middle East. We got peace talks, peace negotiations, peace deals, and peace treaties. Peace workers, peacemakers, the Peace Corps, the Nobel Peace Prize, peaceful protests, no justice, no peace. Love, peace, and happiness. Or as the 90s rap group Lost Boys say, what? Love, peace, and nappiness or hair grease. There you go. Amen. Some of y'all know. Sometimes we're just looking for a little peace of mind. Sometimes we're looking for a little peace and quiet. Sometimes we got to bite our tongue and hold our peace. Peace, the word, the concept, the desire is all around all the time. And we use this word peace to represent that longing we have to be free, to be free from conflict and violence, to be free from injustice and unrest, to be free from fear and anxiety and weariness and stress. Peace is something deep down that we all yearn for. And when we turn to God's word, we see that scripture actually affirms this desire for peace. But we also see that scripture clarifies and expands our understanding of what true peace is and where true peace comes from. The word in scripture that best captures this peace that we yearn for is a Hebrew word called shalom. Now the word shalom has various meanings depending on the context in which it shows up. But oftentimes in scripture, shalom represents a wide tent kind of peace, a comprehensive rightness of all things. It represents the total and complete wholeness and harmony between all things. And this kind of peace, this shalom peace, according to Bible's teaching, is a peace that can only be had when we are in right relationship with the God of the Bible. This is the foundation of true peace. And that's also where our problem lies, isn't it? Because scripture also makes it clear, as we already sang about and confessed today, that because of God's holiness, his moral perfection, and because of our sinfulness, our moral raggediness, no one is naturally in right relationship with the holy God of the Bible. Sin is like a wall blocking us from a peace-filled relationship with God and with each other. A wall that is so high and so wide and, and so thick that only God himself can knock it down. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God in his great mercy and grace do this. God makes provisions, gracious provisions for sinners to be in relationship with him. And this is seen most clearly in the, the elaborate Jewish temple sacrificial system, right? A system that left God's people of old yearning for a day that God would once and for all handle the sin issue that separated them from experiencing the harmony with God and the fullness of shalom kind of peace that flows from it. And God, through his prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, 6, 
promised to bring his people this peace through a child, a child who would be known as the Prince of Peace. And in our passage this morning, the Gospel of Luke, the Prince of Peace comes to the world. And through this coming, I think we see at least three aspects of what true peace is. We see the source of true peace. We see the recipients of true peace. And we see the proper response to true peace. Source, recipients, response. Now, before diving into chapter 2, we need to make sure we position it in the context of what we learned in chapter 1 of Luke. In chapter 1, we learned that a young virgin girl named Mary was preparing to get married to a man named Joseph. When she learned through the angel Gabriel that she would miraculously become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and that this baby in her womb would be called holy, the Son of God. And Mary was instructed to name this child Jesus. And at the very end of Luke 1, in Luke 1.79, this soon-to-be child named Jesus was, was described as being the one that would guide the feet of God's people, it says, into the way of peace. And here in chapter 2, we see that God the Father is systematically orchestrating real historical events in order to finally bring his son of peace into the world. And in doing so, God makes it clear that he and he alone is the source of true peace. Look back with me at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It reads, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Here in these opening verses, we find the historical setting by which God the Father was setting the stage for the execution of his plan of peace. Verse 1 begins with, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome during that time. And for our purposes, it's important for us to keep in mind that Caesar Augustus' reign was described as a time of peace. You may remember from high school history class, or maybe not, that there was a period in Roman history called Pax Romana, right? Roman peace. And this period of peace is credited primarily to Caesar Augustus. So look at what God is doing. God is intentionally, on purpose, having his peace come into the world at a time where the greatest peace, one of the greatest empires of world history had known. God does this, I believe, to make it clear that the peace that was flowing from Caesar's earthly throne was nothing compared to the peace that would begin to flow from his heavenly throne. We see that Caesar was just a pawn in God's grand plan to bring God's promised peace to fulfillment and to bring it to fulfillment in the actual place 
in the geographic location that he had promised he would long ago through the prophet Micah. Micah says in 5.2 that you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth the one who is to be ruler in Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and he shall be their peace. He said those words 700 years earlier. God had promised his people long ago that from a little nothing town called Bethlehem, that he would bring them a ruler that would be their peace. So when Caesar called all the world, as it says in verse 1, to register in their hometown, it was all part of God's plan to bring his promised ruler, his very own son, still at that time in the womb of Mary, to Bethlehem in fulfillment of his promise. And again, in doing so, God is making it clear that he and he alone is the source of true peace. And God's plan, as it always does, unfolds perfectly as we see in verses 4 through 5. Look there with me. Beginning in verse 4, it reads, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Through Caesar's decree, God leads Joseph and this very pregnant Mary on a journey some 90 miles, it says, up from Galilee to Bethlehem. Now think about this. Mary and Joseph travel 90 miles, pregnant. Real pregnant. Now, some of y'all know how uncomfortable it can be to travel any distance when you're near your due date. So imagine how hard this trip must have been for them. And without a minivan, right? <laughs> Here's the point. No one would just sign up to take this trip. Again, we see the hand of God through the decree of Caesar, leading Joseph and Mary on a trip that they wouldn't have signed up for in order to perfectly fulfill his perfect plan of perfect peace to the world through this child in Bethlehem. God is making it clear that he and he alone is the source of true peace. And so finally in verses 6 through 7, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, beginning at verse 6. And, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Mary gives birth to Jesus, not in a hospital, not even in someone's home but in what many believe was a vacant cave used to house animals like a barn or a stable. Think about the filth. Think about the smells. The one that God would bring into the world to bring his peace. The one who would be called the Prince of Peace was born not in a princely palace, but in a stank stable. 
with nowhere to lay his head, right? Except in the animal feeding trough in a manger. This is how God chose to bring his own son, Jesus, into the world. How humiliating. And this humiliation of Jesus that we see at his birth would be characteristic of the remainder of Jesus' earthly life and his death, as Luke's gospel will lay out in detail later on. The Prince of Peace would bring God's peace as a suffering servant. Now we next see in verses 8 through 11 that heaven itself confirms that Jesus is indeed the one through whom God was bringing his peace to earth. Look back with me starting at verse 8. It reads, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, there's a whole lot there, and most of it we're going to come back to. But I do want us to look uh, at verse 11 specifically and take a closer look at these titles, right, that the angel gives to Jesus. First, the angel says that Jesus is Savior. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He's the one and only one who could and would save us from all that stands in the way of true peace. Namely, that wall of peace that we described earlier that stands between sinful humanity and a holy God. Jesus, the Savior, has come to bring the peace of God by placing us back in right relationship with God. And again, as we see Luke's narrative unfold, that peace that he was bringing, God was sending through his son, Jesus, by way of his son paying the penalty for our sin. Jesus alone brings God's peace as Savior. And the angel declares that this Savior is the Christ that God's people had been waiting for. For unto you was born in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ. Jesus had come to save as the long-awaited Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the great prophet, priest, and king that all the law and prophets in the Old Testament was pointing towards. Jesus is Christ, the Savior. And as Savior Christ, Jesus is to be obeyed and honored as Lord. For unto you was born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Understand, during this time, Caesar was considered the Lord of this world, right? At least of the Roman Empire. But God's true peace, God's shalom was coming through his son, Jesus Christ, who would be the king of kings and Lord of all lords. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Lord. And so it was clear from these first 11 verses 
that God providentially maneuvered and manipulated historical events to bring his peace into his world through his son, Jesus, the Savior, Christ and Lord. And in so doing, God proves that he and he alone is the source of true peace. So I ask you all this morning, where are you looking for this true peace? From what place are you looking for that true and everlasting peace that your soul desires? From what source are you hoping for this true and everlasting peace for your world? We're all looking for it from somewhere or from someone. Do you believe this morning that this true peace only comes from God through his son? Believers, I remind you this morning that God in Christ has brought you peace so you can let go of whatever else you're clinging to for this peace. Believers, you know God's peace is the only true peace. So don't let the world convince you otherwise. If you're here this morning and you have not yet placed your trust in Jesus, then I'm here this morning to tell you that you don't have true peace. Any conception of peace that does not involve the bowing of the knee to Jesus as Savior, Christ, and Lord is no true peace at all. Now, you may have experienced some mirages of peace, some bootleg versions of peace, but don't be fooled. It's not authentic. It's a knockoff. It will fail you. It may have already failed you. True lasting peace comes from God the Father alone, through his Son alone. But if you're here this morning without this peace, Guess what? I got good news for you. You can be a recipient of this peace today. Because as we see as our passage continues, this true peace is offered to all people. Look back with me at verse 8. It reads, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. In verse 8, we see that the grand announcement of this message of peace comes first. To some regular folk watching animals at night in a field. Not exactly what I would consider the most strategic way to get out the best news the world has ever heard. God chooses to release this good news first to some shepherds, not to religious leaders. Not to the most influential or powerful, but to some common folk 
some folk near the bottom of the social ladder, some shepherds, some night-working shepherds, third-shift shepherds, some folks watching sheep on the graveyard shift. They receive the best news ever first. That ought to make you scratch your head, right? What is God up to? What is he trying to teach us through his intentional selection of these shepherds to be the original recipients of this good news? Brothers and sisters, God was just beginning here to reveal what would become overwhelmingly clear throughout the rest of Luke's gospel, but especially throughout the rest of the New Testament, that this peace, his peace, would be for all people, even shepherds. And in verses 9 through 10, the angel explicitly declares that this peace was for all, right? Look at 9. It says, and, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, to be clear, all people here does not literally mean every human being that's ever been born. This will get clarified in verse 14. But again, it does point towards the reality that the peace of God is for all peoples, not just for Jews as was widely thought during that time, but for Gentiles too, for people as Revelation 7-9 would describe from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language. Rich folk and poor folk, powerful and weak folk, gifted and challenged folk. This peace, true God, shalom, peace would be offered to all. And in verses 13 through 14, a whole multitude of angels basically reannounce this good news. Look back at the beginning of verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The multitude of angels affirm that yes, indeed, peace, true peace, shalom peace, peace that comes only from being in right relationship with God has come from God through Jesus to all. To all those whom God is pleased. Literally to all people of God's good pleasure. Which means that this peace would come not by birthright, not even by merited works of the law, but by grace, by grace alone, no earning it, peace by grace. God was choosing, God was electing by grace to save some from all of humanity, from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every nation. There would be recipients of his peace. So again, if you walked in here this morning, without having yet placed your faith in Jesus, you walked in here without true peace. But God in his love for you is extending his hand of grace to you today 
to receive his gift of peace, gift wrapped with his own hand. It can be yours. If only you would believe. Understand that it would become clear in the rest of Luke's gospel and also in the rest of the New Testament that the recipients of this peace were those that first truly acknowledged the fact that they need a savior and that they receive and embrace Jesus as that savior that God has given them. Now to be clear, God's peace doesn't mean that you're going to be free of trouble in this life. God's peace doesn't mean that you're going to be freed from the struggle of sin and sin's effect in this world. But God's peace does mean that even in the trouble, even in the struggle, even in the headaches and heartbreaks of this life, you will have through the power of his spirit what Philippians 4, 7 describes as a peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that actually just doesn't make any sense. A peace that gives you strength in the storms of life and, and rest while you're right in the middle of whatever mess that you're going through. A persevering peace you'll have because it will be anchored to a future promise of everlasting, uninterrupted, unchallenged, unfiltered peace in full life. This we will experience when Jesus the Prince of Peace returns. And all y'all believers here this morning ought to join Mr. Bobo back there and say amen. Because I know you can testify to this peace. I know what some of y'all have been through. I know what some of y'all are going through right now. And it is only by the grace of God, I've seen it with my own eyes, that he is keeping you and comforting you right in the middle of your struggle. Some of y'all have been through some stuff that you should have been lost your mind, as they say, right? But the peace of the Lord has kept you. And the only proper response, our third point this morning, to this gift of God's peace is a response of worship. And that's exactly the response we see from the angels and from the shepherds, right? We see in verses 13 through 20, the angels leading and the shepherds following in worship. And, and this worship, the way that it's presented in Luke's gospel is like this combo of both proclamation and praise, proclamation and praise. Beginning at verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. There's the praise. You see it? Okay. And saying, now here comes the proclamation, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Y'all see that combination of praise and proclamation. And the shepherds also following heaven's lead, immediately launch into their own proclaiming and praising worship. Drop down to verse 15, it says, When the angels went away from them in heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. That means they went real fast. 
and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying. They proclaimed that which had been told to them concerning the child. That proclamation. And if we drop down to verse 20, we see that after they proclaimed, they praised. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told to them. The only proper response, brothers and sisters, to receiving this gift of God's peace is worship. Worship through proclamation and worship through praise. And that's basically what we do here every week, right? This is why we come together Lord's Day after Lord's Day for corporate worship. To do what? To praise and proclaim through singing, through prayer, through confession, through the word read, through this word preached, through the sacraments, right? All to praise, all to proclaim the peace that we have with God and with each other through Christ Jesus. Amen? And our Christian call to this rhythm of praise and proclamation ought to continue when we walk out of here into our world. As we go throughout our city, to our workplaces, to our cyberspaces, in our schools, on our campuses, coffee shops and barbershops, community blocks and community parks, in our home and even back home for the holidays. Brothers and sisters, everywhere we go and in everything we do, we are to do all to the glory of God, to the praise of God, to testify to the good news of the peace of God won for us in Christ Jesus, the one whom we wait to return, to usher all who believe into the fullness of his shalom peace. Amen? Amen. Again, if you're here today and you walked in here without this kind of peace, then please don't leave today without letting us pray with you. During our last song, we're going to have some folks that are going to be sitting at some red chairs and they'll hang around however long they need to. They want to pray with you. They want to share their stories, their testimonies of experience, this peace that comes only from Christ. Maybe you're a believer this morning. You've accepted this peace, but you're going through some stuff right now that's making it kind of hard to hold on to this peace. You, too, don't leave today without letting one of your brothers and sisters pray with you. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your peace. Lord, it's so hard sometimes to believe that we actually have this peace. It's hard for us to hold on to it. Everything we see on the news, everything we see in the world, everything we see in our own lives, help us to hold on to it, Lord. Help us to believe in this peace. Help us to hope for the fullness of this peace to experience it when Christ returns. 
And Lord, I pray for those that are here right now that have yet to embrace this peace that you offer that comes through your son, Lord. Help them to believe. Open their hearts, Lord, even right now, to believe and to receive the peace that you extend to all. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Christ, and our Lord, we pray. Amen.